Hey everybody, this is Chris and Jason from Silver Solutions Podcast. Join us as we chat with people from around the globe as they share their real life stories of recovery. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe so you can easily find us and our latest episodes. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 56. And tonight our guest host is joining us from Philadelphia, Kevin H. And I know Kevin from the rooms of Philadelphia, and I'm very excited to have him on the show tonight. So Kevin, it's nice to see you. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I started using and drinking at a younger age and developed a problem in you know the middle of high school. So I went to my first rehab when I was 16 years old. I went up to uh, Karen Foundation, which is a well-known, well-respected rehab. Went 28 days, went to full-time, and um, through high school, struggled with any amount of sobriety. I was in a group home at 17. So my senior year of high school, I spent uh, living in a house with five other guys, going to a special high school for troubled kids. I had introduction to AA at a very young age. My grandparents on my mom's side were both in recovery. My mom's real dad died from cirrhosis when she was real young. And her mom remarried a therapist that she met at Living Grin Rehab. So both of my grandparents were in recovery. There was drinking and um, active alcoholism and active addiction and then active recovery around me and examples of that at a young age. I had my first sponsor when I was 17 years old and started working the steps. I struggled for the next 17 years with getting any amount of sobriety. I think the most clean time that I had from 14 years old until this length of sobriety. Now, the most I ever had was about six months clean. Um, I had been to at least 10 rehabs. And when I went to rehab, I wasn't the type of person that went and then AMA'd after a week. Like I always went, I went for the full time. Like I was usually at a bottom. I was at some low in my life where enough was enough and I needed to take a break and get away from it. And I always wanted on some level to be sober and to get sober. I just didn't know how to do it. And I tried everything that was thrown at me as a suggestion, like you hear like extended rehab, outpatient, intensive outpatient, halfway house, sober house, recovery house. I've been in and out of jail. I've been homeless in three different cities. There was a lot of pain and there was a lot of lows and there was a lot of bottoms. And there was a lot of willingness too on my end to get sober. It never clicked for me. Like something would always derail it until this last time around. I was at another very low My boyfriend did not want me in the house unless he was there. I was pretty much, you know, on the street for most of the day. You know, I was stealing to support my habit. And um, this had become like pretty normal life. I was 35 years old and I was pretty embarrassed about how my life had turned out, um, but not really sure about how to change it or turn it around. 
I had tried, I thought, tried everything. And, um, yeah, I was just, you know, I was real low. Um, there was a lot of hopelessness there. I was absconding from probation in Montgomery County. So I was on the run from Monco and I was stealing from stores in Philadelphia to support my habit. And I got caught. Um, and I thought I was, you know, going back to jail again for not a long time. I never went for a long time, but you know, at least a couple months, but I didn't like somehow the, uh, the warrant didn't pop up in Philly system and they had me on a misdemeanor theft. So they let me go the next morning and I had stashed, I stole, I stole from liquor stores was part of my, what, where I stole from. And I would sell the bottles to bars or to other people and support myself. But anyway, so I had stashed like four or five bottles in a bush across from the Comcast center in Philadelphia in between these thefts. And I got caught on the last one, but all these bottles were still in this bush when I got out of the police station the next morning and uh, I filled my bag back up and I was walking down 15th street. My boyfriend had an apartment in South Philly and um, I'll never forget like that feeling. I felt it so many times before, but I'll never forget that morning. Like I needed a drink so bad, but my body could not take any more liquor. Like it just couldn't handle it anymore, but I couldn't function without it. Like I was shaking violently. I needed it to function. So I had to get a couple sips down as my body's trying to force it back out. That had become like a normal morning for me. And uh, I was feeling pretty vulnerable this morning and pretty sick and tired, I guess. And um, I went to the apartment and I broke in and uh, I got some food in me and a little bit of sleep. And then I started drinking a little bit more and a little bit more. I told myself on that walk that I wasn't going to sell any of the other bottles I was just going to get right and um, try and change my life. But once I had a few drinks in me and I felt good again, everything went out the door. And um, I found myself at the bar down the street in the middle of the afternoon selling my bottles to score more drugs. I, I did I stayed there for like two or three days in that place, in that mental spot. And then I couldn't do it anymore. I checked myself into a rehab. Like I said, it was my 10th one. And I didn't have a lot of hope. It was right before Christmas. And I remember the first group that I was in that I can remember. And we were talking about like family coming to visit because it was the holidays. And I just remember raising my hand and saying like, I don't want my family to come see me because I was so tired of people that I loved getting their hopes up. Because if you just looked at the pattern of Kevin in the last 18 years, this was not going to end well. I was going to feel better for a couple of weeks. I'd stay sober. I'd get a job. I'd get a roof over my head. And then I'd mess up like I always did. I mean, that was my pattern. Things turned out a little bit different this time around. I did some things that I didn't do before, but somehow things all just kind of lined up and clicked together. And I don't really know like exactly what that is or exactly have the answer or the cure an addiction here. But I know what, what has kind of worked for me somewhat. And uh, I'm happy today. Like, I can't believe that my life is what my life is. It's just about putting like another day together for me. I don't look that far into the future, except for like sensible planning on things. But like for the most part, I'm in the moment because that's all it's all we have. That's all we have control over. That's all I can worry about. And if I try and get ahead of myself, my mind starts going and it's not to a good place. I try and stay as much as I can in the moment and um, just keep making the next right choice. The further I get from my last drink or drug, 
the easier this thing gets. Yeah, absolutely. So Kevin, how long uh, do you have in recovery right now? Almost six years. Um, I th- it'll be six years in December. So um, about five years, 10 months. Awesome. When you were talking about your story of you had your grandparents in recovery, you had your first sponsor at 17 years old, you were in your first rehab at 16 years old, and then you had this bright light moment of walking down the street with these bottles in your bag and just having that realization that you just can't do this anymore. My question is, what was it that really made it click this time for you to get almost six years of recovery right now? I, like I said, I'm not really sure how I can put my finger on it, but what I can talk about is this time around, there is no like definitive, like I did this and this is why I'm sober. I think it's just a lot of little things put together. I do know this time around getting sober, like I can remember back on like three moments, like three specific moments within that first three to six month period of getting sober, where normally Kevin went, took the fork in the road to the left. You know, that's where I went. And I remember seeing that fork in the road and knowing what it was and just begging myself to give myself a chance. We've already done this left side. Like, let's see what happens if I can just get enough sober time here and see what life then gives me, because I know what life has given me the other way. And in those moments, it has either been calling a friend or a sponsor and talking either about what I was feeling or anything at all, just to get out of my head. Because that thought, when you're first getting sober, that thought for me about using comes so often and it's so powerful. But the thought comes and then once you can change what you're thinking about quick enough, you don't go too far down that road. It's salvageable. And that's why like the further I get from my latest drink or drug, I talk about it just gets easier because those those obsessions, those to use come less frequent. They're way less powerful. And I'm like way more equipped to deal with them now. A lot of it in the beginning was just holding on, like honestly. Yeah, thanks for that, Kevin. I can relate a lot to, let's be honest, it's withdrawal. In the beginning, when you have this plan and you're like, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to get right, and then I'm going to get sober, and my life's going to get back together, and... You said, I got right, right? And then all plans went away. I went to the bar, sold the bottles, went to buy drugs. That's a very relatable feeling. And I just remember before I went to rehab, for weeks at a time, I had that plan every single day. I went so far as to leave for a two-week vacation and told my whole family I had a business trip to some people, vacation, but just sit in a hotel and try to sober up. But then withdrawal kicks in and it all goes away. Before we started recording, you guys were talking about how you met and that you were chairing some meetings. And I was interested in something you said and that I think the verbatim word was AA is not the only way. So do you think you could expand on that and how that relates to your recovery program? Sure, absolutely. And um, this is the first time I've really ever talked about it besides with like my boyfriend or some really close friends. AA is great. I love AA. I'm involved in AA. But I think a lot of people would be shocked to find out. I have never gone past step four. I don't have a sponsor. I don't 
technically work the steps as traditional people do. That has just not been my way. Now, the reason why I don't talk about this is a lot is because, first of all, a lot of people that are first coming around, AA is really the only option for a lot of people. There's a lot of free time. There's a lot of downtime. And to me, that is a huge enemy when I'm getting sober. So I just like to put in a disclaimer, like my first six to nine to 12 months, I had a sponsor. I was working the steps. I went to meetings every day because I didn't have anything else to fill my time with. Today, AA is a part of my life and I keep it a part of my life. It is not the defining part of my recovery program. I don't, like I said, I don't have a sponsor. I do have a recovery house where five guys live. I do actively help anyone or go to a meeting that asks for help. So I try and give back in the ways that I can, in the ways that AA has given to me in a less traditional sense. So sometimes people do ask me to sponsor them and I have to be point blank with them. Listen, no offense, but I've never completed the steps, so I can't sponsor you, but I can be your friend. Like if you want to give me a call, you need help with something, you got to get outside of your head because people were there for me in the beginning that weren't, weren't next, you know, technically my sponsor. They were just friends. And I think that sometimes, like I said, I don't want to take away anything from AA, but I don't know if it was because it was introduced to me at such a young age or I don't really dissect it. I really don't look for reasons why. I just know that like what was working for me right now and this is working for me. And that's also part of the reason why, you know, there's not really a platform to talk about that. Yeah. So you were talking about a big part of what my AA program is about, which is service. Whether you're doing meetings or you're chatting with people and you're building that community, you have your recovery house, but it just goes to show that there's not one path to recovery. And quite honest, Kevin, I was surprised because I've known you for two years now and I didn't know that. And I see you as such a pillar of recovery. It again goes back to my earlier point that there's not one path to really getting that foundation in recovery. It's a very valid point. And you were talking about your boyfriend, you were talking about the fellowship. What other kind of support systems do you have in your life that really help you down this road to recovery? Well, you know, my family's a big support. There's a lot of things like going for me is another reason why I caution myself against talking openly about not having a sponsor, not working the steps. Because in my life, I have a hugely supportive family, a large family. My boyfriend is 11, 11 years sober. So, like, we've been together for 17 years, you know. So, like, he's a huge support system. Um, and he hasn't gone to an AA meeting for himself since his first year of recovery. Kind of did the same thing where you got busy with a career, you got busy with hobbies, you got busy with things that really interest us. My mom talks a lot about Getting sober is really about building a life that you don't need to escape from anymore. It's building a life where when I wake up in the morning, like I can't believe that I get to walk through the day that I get to walk through. I lived in a hell, a self-induced hell, for so many years that just the fact that when I wake up in the morning and I don't have the cold sweats and I'm not shaking and I don't need to get one down to get right or my first thought is, how am I going to get $20 to get high? 
Like that in and of itself is like the biggest blessing for me that everything else after that is just a bonus. So I'm beyond grateful for the fact that the things clicked in my life the way they did this time around. I keep making decisions in my life that make it harder for me to make the decision to use. That's a part of my program of recovery. Like I spoke briefly about getting the recovery house. That is something that is part of my recovery program now because I have five people who are relying on me for a safe place to lay their head at night. And while I'm not like extremely involved in their recovery programs, but providing a safe place for them is important to me. It's something that I want to continue to do. It's something that I want to grow on. And if I decide to go get high tonight, then it's not really going to work. So those type of things are just examples of like what I do to, to make it harder for me to make the wrong decision. I am very much aligned with you. Right now, my life has become, and I preface this with, it's become this way because I've been sober these last two years, but it's become so blessingly busy that I don't have time for the recovery that I used to. And people always say, and it is a great saying, recovery gives you that, right? Recovery gives you the ability to have this blessed life. I don't have time to go to meetings as much anymore. I have two young kids. Um, I do go to a lot of meetings in the car on the way to work or from work. So that's the time I hit meetings. Like I don't feel as involved in it as I used to. When you go to a meeting, for me, it has a different feeling. Talking with people, I call people all the time. I mean, I probably have 50 people that I just speed dial through the week. And that's probably the biggest thing in my program right now. Because if I don't check in with someone within a week, I start getting, and it might be just I skip through it, I'll get a text, you know, are you right? What's up? And just that little uh, accountability really does a lot for me. I do agree with you. And a lot of people that I've told this to, a lot of people, I should say, that aren't following the steps to a T kind of are looked down on in AA sometimes. And it's just interesting to hear someone with such long-term recovery. Uh, I say long-term, it's long-term to me, but uh, with that perspective. So I, I, I find that interesting. I think the other thing is you're right in, in the sense that people who are big book thumpers and really engaged in every single aspect of the program needed that and they take that and they use that as their way of doing it. And it just keeps reminding me of when I first got out of rehab and Chris, you might remember this. But we had a friend who wasn't going to meetings, wasn't going doing the steps and was smoking pot as a way to get through those first few days out of rehab. And the level of judgment that I had against that was just insanely high. And thankfully, I've come to a place in my recovery where I don't have those feelings, right? Because, yes, the steps work for me. Yes, I use them in my day-to-day because I get to fall back on something because left to my own devices, I'm a, a complete train wreck and a mess. But it's not the only way. And, you know, I guess, Kevin, like, when you made that conscious choice not to really talk about 
the way that you get sober. And, and I applaud you for, you know, having the honesty when people do ask you to, to sponsor them. But like, what was that hesitation initially? Was it that fear of being judged? Or was it you didn't want to give AA a bad rap? Or like, what was that initial decision making process for you? Sure. So I have a lot of respect for AA. And um, I don't want to knock AA. And I don't want to knock anyone else's like we're just talking about other way of getting sober. You know, like if it's working for you, what else am I telling my story if you're not sitting in the front of an AA room? So I just don't feel like it was ever the right atmosphere to be talking. And then I've had friends who have told me, hey, but listen, Kevin, like people need to hear that because maybe they'll get lost like you did for so many years. Like you don't have to follow everything to the T. I, I think, though, the bottom line for me is like AA is a given answer where you can send someone to get help at like any hour of the day. And getting sober is so freaking hard. And so involved that like anyone is afraid to give advice to the contrary of where there's available help. AA is there for people. It's something that can work. So if I'm talking about how AA doesn't work for me in certain ways, I don't want to be responsible for someone ODing and dying at the end of the day. I agree on the other side, though, as well, Kevin hearing that I think helps some people too, because I remember I used to go to meetings before my first stint at rehab and then right after before I went again and I would walk out because I didn't relate. How scary is it the first time you go to a meeting and being like, Hey, will you be my sponsor? You walk up 10 feet and you turn right around. Like I probably did that, you know, 10 times. But if someone hears, oh, you know, I don't follow this perfectly, but this is what I did and it got me sober, I think that could help some people too. There's no right way as long as you're not ruining your life anymore, right? I absolutely agree. And I think that for the people listening, you have to decide what works for you. If you need that structured approach and getting that sponsor, going to meetings every day, having that step work in your life, then that's fine. And if you color outside the lines a bit, as long as you're not using, then that's fine too. Yeah. I think, I guess that, you know, part of that hesitation is that alcoholics and drug addicts have, have proven that they're usually not the best decision makers and that um, we take our lives down the wrong path and we're not exactly honest with ourselves. So I think that's where some of the caution comes in. Listen, I had been in and out of these rooms since I was 16, 17 years old. Of all the recommendations that are thrown at you, I had tried a lot of stuff, and I was finally getting to the point where I could see what was working and what wasn't working. So if you're like new to this program and it's your first couple times around or your first time around, it's more of like those people that I don't want to be like, well, this kid's just, he's, you know, he doesn't have a sponsor. He's not working the steps. I can do that because we all know where that most likely ends up. I mean, let's just be completely honest with it. The percentage of people that get sober, even with AA and doing everything that they recommend is so small. So like you're, you're, you're making that percentage even smaller. This road is extremely hard to go down. So like, why not try everything at your disposal to see what works, you know? And then when you see and you're 
honest about to yourself what is working for you and what doesn't work for you. And then you put that into practice and then you just keep putting days together. I guess that's where the hesitation is. It's like, I don't want to see people try this for 17 years and then come to this conclusion. There might be an easier way. A hundred percent. And the phrase or the slogan that keeps ringing in my head right now is take what you need and leave the rest. And how many times have we heard that in a meeting or someone in recovery say that exact phrase? But if we actually live by that, like it means that I'm going to go and I'm going to listen to things and I'm going to take the suggestions that I honestly try wholeheartedly. And if they work, they work. If they don't, I get to try something else. And so I think sometimes we just say things in meetings and when it actually happens in real life, people are like, I can't believe you did that. You're absolutely 100% right. That is a huge saying, and it is what I kind of live by, the mantra that I do. But if I stood up in the middle of an AA meeting and said, I don't have a sponsor, people would be talking about how I'm on my way to a relapse. You know what I mean? When I am the furthest from a relapse that I've ever been in my life. So, Kevin, you said that, and before you were talking about jail, homelessness, pain. How does your life look now? So uh, about nine months ago, I quit uh, a job that I loved and I started my own catering company. And it has been every bit of beautiful, Um, extremely stressful, extremely time consuming. um, But like my life is surreal today. It is completely 100% surreal. The things that are going on in my life right now are really exciting. Like me and my boyfriend are opening up a cafe catering spot in downtown center city, Philadelphia. Like it's in construction right now. The renovations are underway. We hope to be open by Thanksgiving. And this saying that is just, it's crazy to me. Like to think about where we came from, like literally homeless, trying to figure out the most comfortable piece of cardboard to sleep on. Like that's what we used to do. Like we used to pull cardboard out from behind dumpsters and be excited when you found like a big thick one. Like that's how we used to spend our nights. Um, We have a beautiful home. Uh, We bought brand new. Um, We both have nice cars. Not about like the things. It's just about like the freedom that all of this stuff that our lives are present with today. Like, Just the fact that I have my license, you know, just the fact that like, I don't have to like look over my shoulder when I see a cop because I have eight open warrants. Just the fact that like most of the things today that used to remind me, because like almost everything reminds me of my drug or a drink um, because I was using for so long. I see them today and it makes me smile because like my life today is just completely, completely different. And I... I don't know what else to do, but like when someone asks me for something or uh, I see that I can help someone in a certain way is to just do it because none of this is deserved to me. None of this. It's because I get to work hard and put my heart into something that I love to do and that I can be proud of. Whereas before I worked really hard and I put my heart into being a scumbag. And like, that's how I, I live my life. Complete opposite of how my, my li- I live my life today. And that's just, it's just because of the different choices that I make today. It's just because when I come to that fork in the road, I'm going to the right now. I don't go to the left. Like the left is not an option. We've been down that path and it brings nothing but pain to me 
and all the people around me. And so the other side, making the other decision, making the right decision, does the complete opposite. It does nothing but bring love and happiness to me and everyone that's around me. And it's as simple as that. I love that. I think about that for myself, and I share that with my sponsees too. You're either getting yourself closer to a drink or a drug, or you're getting yourself further away from a drink or a drug. And you have a choice in everything that you do. So which are you going to choose? Turn right or turn left? And I think it's a great way to live your life every single day. And I think that you have had a lot of great things to say um, as it relates to your recovery. And for our listeners, what would you say would be one piece of advice that you would give someone who's either early in their journey or maybe even someone who has extended amount of recovery? What would you say to them? Don't give up. I mean, that is like the bottom line is you can't give up and that you're not a failure if you slip up. For me, I looked at myself like a failure for so many years because I didn't have continuous days of sobriety. I looked at myself like there's something wrong with me. I'm never going to get this. And I would just use that as fuel to keep fueling that fire of pain and misery and bad decisions that what you are doing today is a learning lesson. And eventually you can put all of that together into the right path. It just got to put one foot in front of the next and that life is only just today. That's it. I don't know who said it, but I will paraphrase a quote that I love. It's not the number of times that you fall down. It's the number of times that you get back up. And I think that really ties into exactly what you were just talking about. Yes. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I loved your brutal honesty and I loved how you framed what a recovery program could look like outside of just using AA or another program uh, like that. So thank you so much for sharing that with us and our viewers. Thank you guys for letting me be here and letting me talk openly about, you know, my recovery. I really appreciate it. And as always, each and every one of our episodes is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a great night, guys. Good night, guys. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.